Christ. Matthew chapter number six, we're in our series on prayer. Why should we pray? We started talking about that um, by just answering some basic questions, some, some common, I think, hindrances we face when we pray. Like the question, does prayer really work? And we answered that. We says it does work when we work it. It really does. Okay, then pastor, if prayer works, then why isn't God answering my prayer right now? I spent a whole week giving you eight possibilities from scripture as to why your prayer may not be getting answered. Okay, then does my prayer change God's mind? Because if he's just going to do what he's going to do, do I really need to pray? Well, we learned last week that God's plans are unchanging, but that he uses your prayers as an instrument or a means to accomplish those plans. So yeah, you're a big part of God's plans. So pray. Wherever you are, I said, wherever you are, pray. I hope this last week you have been sensitive to the problems around you and you have, you have been God's vessel of blessing his channel of provision in those situations by stopping and praying. It's amazing. Today, we're going to begin to answer the question, how are we supposed to pray? It's interesting that, that when Jesus taught on this in his most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, before he gave his followers instructions about how to pray, he gave them instructions on how not to pray. If you're a parent in here today, specifically a father, you've probably told your son or your daughter something like this. Don't talk to your mother that way. I know I had to be told that a time or two as a kid. And, and we have to tell our children that from time to time because they're selfish. They're short-sighted. And our kids are just altogether confused humans sometimes. But we're the same way with God. We're selfish with God sometimes. We're short-sighted with the Father. We're even confused. And so Jesus takes the time to basically tell us this. Don't talk to your father that way. In our text today, he gives us two big no-nos when it comes to prayer. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Number one, hypocrites were the Pharisees, the religious rulers of their day. And he said, number two, don't pray like the heathens, the heathen, the pagans, the lost. Jesus often referred to them as the Gentiles, not necessarily a people group as much as, as these people that just hadn't trusted in Jesus for salvation. So I'm going to study those two instances here in Matthew chapter six. We're going to begin with how we should not pray like the hypocrites. Look at verse five of chapter six. And when thou prayest. Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. Here's the first point. Don't pray like the hypocrites who try to use God in prayer. Now, let's clarify what, what a hypocrite is in the context of this text and in the context of prayer. Because we often think of a hypocrite most often as someone is two-faced, right? We often say, you're one thing in church and you're another thing outside of church. And certainly that's hypocritical. But that's not really what Jesus is getting at here. He's talking specifically about hypocrisy in prayer. Hypocrisy in our so-called conversation with the Father. Which is when we try to use prayer to gain something from God rather than use prayer to get close to God. This is what the Pharisees were doing in essence here. They were using God. 
Specifically, Jesus calls out the tendency of the religious to use prayer as a way of feeling self-righteous. See, in first century Jewish uh, culture, religiosity meant respect. The more religious you were, the more respect you received. That's why the Pharisees chose where they prayed very carefully. They stood and they, they prayed in the synagogues, these religious gatherings, because that's where, where the people would be uh, gathered who, who would be most impressed by their praying. They also stood on the street corners. You know why? Because that's where two streets met. And so twice as many people would see and be impressed by their prayer. What they were doing is using God hypocritically as a means to an end. They wanted status with others. And they used their prayer to get it. See, at the end of verse 5, Jesus teaches us that, that God is no more a fan of being used as a means to an end than we are. No one likes that. Neither does God. That's why Jesus says, if you pray that way, they have their reward. What does he mean by that? He says, this kind of prayer... Using it as a means to an end gets literally nothing from God. The only reward for this kind of praying is the extra respect of a few people whose opinion don't really matter anyway. See, prayers of this nature gain nothing from God because to put it bluntly, these people aren't even talking to him in the first place. They're putting on an act. They're not there to have a conversation with God. They're not there to get close to God. They're not there to fellowship with the Father. They're there to get what they want through prayer, which was respect in other people's eyes. See, in this passage, Jesus is specifically warning against using prayer as a way to gain respect from others. But I think we can broaden the application of this principle to any number of things. Because here's the truth. Don't miss this. Anytime we are more interested in what we can get from God than we are in God himself, we become a hypocrite. Anytime we pray, if it's to be seen of men like it was the Pharisees, or it's to get something else from God, not respect from others or attention from others, but we want to use prayer as a means to get something that we want, and that's all we use prayer for, that's hypocritical. Now we know God loves for us to ask him for things. I want to make that clear. God loves for us to request things. He loves for us to pray big prayers. He loves for us to pray for the impossible things to happen. He wants to, he wants to give healing and he wants to give provision and he wants to give blessing, tangible, material blessing at times. God wants us to bring those needs to him. But if our prayer life is primarily about getting something from God instead of getting to know God, we become like the Pharisees. This really challenges me. I know, for example, that I pray most fervently on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. I confess my sin. I make sure my life is clean. I avoid fights with my wife. I try to be nice to my son. You know why? Because I'm only hours away from preaching. And I really need God's help when I preach. Is it bad to pray before I preach? No. Should I feel a level of desperation for his help when I preach? Very much so. But the fact that my prayer life takes such a dramatic step forward on that night of the week shows that my motivations are partially hypocritical. That I can pray mainly sometimes because God is useful to me as I preach. God is a means to an end of a good sermon. 
I'm convicted by this in my life because sometimes I'm after what I want from God more than I'm after God himself. Every single one of us is susceptible to this. Maybe you find yourself praying before big decisions. God, please just show me your will. Give me guidance. Well, that sounds spiritual, but it's possible you're more concerned with God's will than with God himself because you haven't prayed for three weeks leading up to that decision. Maybe you find yourself praying before meetings or before a sales pitch or before taking a test. Not so much so that you can know God and live out his will better, but because you want to land the order. You want to win the project. You want to ace the exam. Or maybe you pray for God, your kid's behavior. Again, that, that's a good thing. But is your motivation one of glorifying God or to make yourself look like a good, responsible parent in public? So that your kids don't embarrass you. Take heed. Any time that we're more interested in what we can get from God than we're interested in God himself, we are hypocrites. Jesus said there's a better way to pray. There's a better approach to prayer. And it involves sincerity. Look at verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou shut the door... Pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. See, the way to know your real motivation in prayer is to ask how much you pray when no one's watching. When you have nothing to gain from praying but greater fellowship with God. Hey, you know you're sincere when what drives you to pray is mainly a desire to be closer to the Lord. Augustine, who who wrote in the 5th century, pointed out that nearly everything we do for God can be done for some reason other than love for God. To be seen by others, to be respected by others, to be praised by others, to fit in, to, to belong with our family or with our church and so on. And he's right. But But the only motivation that will lead us to pray in secret is that we love God. Prayer that no one else sees or finds out about is the one thing that you'll do consistently if you simply want to know more of God because you love Him. Here's the key difference between the hypocritical person and the sincere person. The hypocritical person prays to get something from God. The sincere person prays to know God. Imagine two different relationships. First, I want you to imagine two men in business together. Because they have complementary skills, their business does really well. But these two men don't like each other very much. They stay together only because they make a ton of money. Their interactions daily are cursory at best. They have little involvement in each other's lives. They don't hang out after work or spend time with each other's family. Their relationship is all business. Now imagine a relationship between two people who've just fallen in love. Like Eli and Savannah. They're totally infatuated with each other. Maybe you've been there. You're you're there right now. This couple spends hours talking. Not because their conversations net them some kind of income. They just love being together. They usually talk about, well, about nothing really. Their conversations aren't aimed to work through an agenda. They're not trying to reach a conclusion. They talk to one another because they love being together, not to get something from each other. 
Do you see the difference in those two relationships? In the same way, hypocritical prayer is all business. Sincere prayer is relationship. It's personal. It's not about an outcome. It's about a fellowship. Here's the truth. God is either useful to you in prayer or he's beautiful to you in prayer. If God is simply useful to you in prayer, you'll pray when you need something. If God's just useful to me in prayer, I'll make sure I pray on Saturday night and Sunday morning. But if God's beautiful to us in prayer, we'll pray without ceasing because we just love him. Yeah, we'll pray in public when we're asked to. But our real prayer life is in the prayer closet. Jesus says, I want to teach you how to pray, but let me teach you how not to pray first. Don't pray like a hypocrite. As a means to get what you want. Next, Jesus goes on to teach us how not to pray like the heathen. Look at verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Here's the second point. Don't pray like the heathen who try to impress God in prayer. Don't pray like the hypocrite who try to use God in prayer. But don't pray like the heathen who try to impress God in prayer. See, this group of Gentiles, those who didn't know God, they didn't have a problem of going to the synagogues, going to the street corner and praying fancy prayers out loud to impress men. No, they were under the illusion that the key to getting God's attention was not to impress men, but was to impress him. So, 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 so they prayed in these vain repetitions. That word literally means mindless babbling. And this continues to this day with various religions. Muslims will chant and pray for hours upon hours upon hours. Some Buddhists will use prayer wheels. Or they put their prayers in a box and and they spin it for hours hoping to elicit a response. Roman Catholics have their rosary beads and their Hail Marys. But let's not think that this is only a problem out there. I think we struggle a bit with the idea that we need to impress God in prayer. We may not rub any beads together or, 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 or turn a prayer wheel or chant the Koran back to Allah. But we have a tendency to drone on and on in our prayers. We have the tendency to exaggerate with all sorts of formal, flowery language that we think unlocks the door to heaven in a special way. We sometimes, as weird as this is, even change our tone of voice. As though a deeper, more formal tone will cause God to look our way. Man, my heart goes out to new Christians that hear us pray sometimes. Bless their heart that they can get the impression impression that they have to have a theological degree to talk to God. They can be intimidated to pray in front of a group because they don't have the spiritual vocabulary that they hear us pray with. They hear us pray these really long prayers, and that's not wrong, but but it's intimidating to them because they can't imagine filling up any more than 30 seconds of prayer before they go blank. We have to be careful not to give the impression that prayer is some kind of professional conversation with God. Here's the good news, especially for those who are intimidated by prayer or are still trying to learn how to pray. Here's good news. Extra words don't earn extra credit with God. And neither do fancy words, and neither do formal words, and neither do theological words, and neither do loud words. 
And here's how I know that because of how Jesus describes God to us in verse eight. Be not ye therefore like unto them. Why? Because your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. How did Jesus describe God here as our father? Our father. That's why the first words of his model prayer, which will start next Sunday, is so revolutionary. Our father, which art in heaven. Listen, for his children, God isn't a judge that we need to pacify. He's a father that knows what we need and he cares deeply for us. You know what that means? Because he's our father, we don't need to impress him. We don't need to persuade him. We don't need to use the best phrases. We just need to talk to him as a dad. We need to believe, like the song says, that he is a good, good father who knows what we need and delights in taking good care of us like any earthly father delights in taking good care of their child. Oftentimes when Jenny and I are standing in the foyer shaking hands after services, our son will get done with children's church or wherever and he'll come to us with a request of some sort. Kevin has never come to me in the foyer gotten down on his knees, lowered his voice, and talked to me in King James language. My father, which art in the foyer, hallowed be thy name. No, I I wrote a prayer. You just got to go along with me. Thy suit is nice. Thy Thy tie is sharp. I'm not worthy to be called thy son. But on this 24th day of the month of July, in the blessed house of our beloved God, I beseech thee, my father, I implore thee to turn thine ear to thine child's request. And if it be pleasing to thine heart and according to thy will, I'm changing accents halfway in. May I receive at your hands, may I receive at your hands the keys to the gymnasium so that me and my brothers may go eat, drink and be merry. Amen. (laughs) Kevin doesn't even know that kind of vocabulary. (laughs) Instead, we're shaking hands and he comes up to me and says, "Uh, hey, dad, what? Can I have your keys to go in the gym? Sure. End of story. Why? I'm his dad. And while he should talk to me with respect because I'm his authority, And a bit of reverence at the end of the day, I don't want him to have to rehearse what he's going to talk to me about before he talks to me. I'm his father. This is liberating because it means that that we don't have to impress God our father. We don't have to say all the right things. We don't have to rehearse what we're going to say before we say it. We don't have to be in just the right posture or, or our prayers doesn't have to be a certain length. You just talk to him. A great Old Testament illustration of this is in the book of 1 Kings 18. You remember Elijah the prophet? He's at a standoff with 450 prophets of Baal. One verse 450. Actually, it's two because Elijah actually has God on his side. Well, they start debating over whose God is the one true Yahweh, the one true God. And they come to this agreement in order to settle their debate. They say, we're going to both pray. We're going to both have a round. 
And whosoever God responds is the true God. And so the 450 prophets of Baal go first. The Bible says that they pray all morning until noon and nothing happens. Elijah's my kind of guy because he starts talking trash. Gets sarcastic, kind of gets in their head a little bit. So they double down, they start cutting themselves and doing all these crazy stuff to get their God's attention. And still nothing. It's Elijah's turn now. You know what he does? He just calls on God to hear him. Answers prayer in a very simple and straightforward way. It only takes up two verses of the entire chapter. It's not long. It's not fancy. It's not, it's not, it, it, you, you won't look at him and say, wow, that's such a prophet prayer. It probably took no longer than 15 seconds. And God rained down fire from heaven. You know what that tells me? It tells me that at the heart of prayer is not saying all the right things. In the right order. At the right length. In just the right posture. At the heart of prayer is understanding my relationship with God as my father. And understanding that he's not hard of hearing. Understanding that he's not hard of heart. Understanding that he's not sitting on his throne with a red pen grading me. Oh, shouldn't have said said that. Oh, you don't know that Bible word? Oh, that prayer was only 30 seconds? No. He just wants me to talk to him. And that's really the heart of this point. Christian, listen, just speak to God. If that's all you learn from this prayer series, learn that. Just talk to him. Shoot straight with him. Be plain with him. You're not going to impress him with any words you know. Like, he knows all. He's way smarter than the smartest guy to ever live. Here's why. You don't, have to, you don't even have to feel pressure to impress him. Here's why. Listen. Because if you're his child, don't miss this. Christ has already impressed him in your place. Now, if it wasn't for Jesus, your prayer better be real polished. It wasn't for our meteor, wasn't for our intercessor. Well, you better go to theology school because you don't stand a chance. But because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus offered to stand between you and God and mediate for you, be your high priest. Isn't that amazing? You you can be crying your, your, your eyes out, not even know what to say. And Jesus takes what's in your heart and prays it to the Father. You, 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 you can be in an absolute mess because of your own sinful choices and find yourself having backed yourself into a corner because you're thinking, man, I haven't went to church in this long. I, 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 I have done this and I've done that. But yet because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you can go to the throne of grace boldly and you'll find help in time of need. You don't need to feel worried and intimidated by the fact that you haven't talked to God in weeks or even months. Because the Bible promises draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It doesn't say draw nigh to God and if God figures out that you're serious, he'll draw nigh to you. It says, no, you draw nigh to God and he'll start stepping towards you. It's like he's on the starting line with his shoes on, ready for the gun to sound. But you have to take the first step. 
He's going to meet you wherever you're at. That's how good God is through Jesus to us. How's your prayer life today? When's the last time you prayed not to use God or impress God, but just to fellowship with God? I'm excited about studying the model prayer, learning some key elements of how to pray. But before we can learn that, we need to learn how not to pray. Jesus said, don't talk to your father this way. Don't try to impress him and don't try to use him. If you find that you're more interested in getting what you want from God than you're interested in God himself. If God has become more useful to you than beautiful to you, then you need to be reminded that God will not reward that kind of prayer. I want to challenge you to return to a place of sincerity in your prayer life. Where you're praying not to get what you want from God primarily, but simply because you love talking to him. For some of you, especially new Christians, I want to encourage you today. Learn to talk to God like he's your dad. Your heavenly dad. That's not irreverent. Father means dad. Talk to him like that. Respectfully, but openly, plainly, sincerely. Even if it's just one or two phrases a day. Don't get mechanical. Don't get formalistic. Just get back to having a conversation with your heavenly father. And if you don't know that God is your father. Then it doesn't matter how long and fancy or short and unfancy that you pray. Nothing else matters until you get into relationship with Jesus. Amen. Just a moment. We're going to baptize some folks. Pastor David will place them under the water. Bring them back above the water. You know what that means? In short, they have a relationship with the Father. Not because they're getting baptized. They're getting baptized to tell you what's already happened inside their heart. What God through Christ has done for them. By them trusting in in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Here's what's happening. Their old life is being buried, forgiven, absolutely done away with. It's dead. And through the help and power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God in their life, they are raised to walk in a new life, new creation in Christ. The people that will be coming out of that water today, they don't instantly become perfect like you're not perfect. It's just their first step towards saying, I want to follow Jesus. I know it'll be hard. I know it'll be difficult. But I I have by faith trusted in Christ and nothing else to save me. And I, through through the church, I, through the Holy Spirit, I, through the Word of God, want to become as much like Jesus as I can. And so when they come out of the water, we'll clap and we'll say amen and we'll rejoice with them. Because a victory is being won. And if you've never done that, if you're not saved today... That is, you you don't know that if you're to die right now, where you would spend eternity. You don't even know what you have to do to make that happen. You don't know fully what Jesus has done to make that happen. Oh, I would love the opportunity to share that with you. The most simple way to enter in that conversation, if, 
I would love for you to, to come and, and meet with one of our pastors here during the invitation as Christians are praying. I would invite you to do that. If you don't do that today, take out a connection card and mark on the back of that connection card, believe. I want more information about believing. And then it's a very like not pressured conversation. Pastor David or Miss Hannah or me and my wife or any of the pastoral staff members. And we just start walking you through slowly what the gospel means and how you can be in a personal relationship with the heavenly father. Would you let us do that today? Fill out that connection card, put it in the offering plate at the end of our service. And we'll contact you this week and get that set up and start that process. But if you're a Christian, you know you're saved. I want us to use this time, this altar time, this response time to search our hearts. And I want you to ask yourself, does my prayer life in any way reflect the Pharisees or the Gentiles? Is God just useful to me or is he beautiful? And, 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 and do I, have I gotten caught up with this like mechanical, formalistic, type of prayer to God? Or does my prayer sound really like a refreshing conversation with my dad? If your prayer life needs a little bit of reviving today in those areas, would you come and just say, God, would you help me this week? Would you help me in one of those areas to be more faithful to you in prayer? Would you stand